four kids. Good. I was going to talk about bad stuff anyway. Um, so if you're uh, visiting, uh, just know we're going through the Bible chronologically. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing it not chronologically because I like to be different. Just that's the way I am. No, uh, Meredith got sick. I was supposed to preach this several months back, and then Meredith got sick, and now I'm doing it. So uh, Ellen's a little nervous about today because one – oh, there she is right there. <laughs> one thing uh, – one way that I deal with stuff in my life is I just say it out loud, and that doesn't always make a wife happy. I told her to go sit with Miss Martha Ann because that's what Mr. C.H. used to do. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, you'll probably notice, like, uh, because I guess I learned this in engineering school, but I like to do what I call evidence-based stuff. So I have a lot of scripture. So it's uh, got information's all, all got to be backed up somewhere. So that's just the way I was taught, the way my, my mind works. So uh, this is a, about Ecclesiastes. And... Uh, when I was, I think I was seven when I got baptized, and I said, I'm going to read the Bible. And so I read most of it. I got bogged down in a few places, but I read most of it then. But I didn't really understand, of course, that age. You're not going to really understand. You, the do this, do, don't do that kind of things, you get pretty easy. But some of the deeper stuff, you're, you just can't grasp at that age. And so I found this, I found Ecclesiastes again when I was in college. I used to take a nap on this brick ledge I had to climb up and get to and uh, I'd sometimes I'd take a nap sometimes I'd read I never did study because who studies right but uh, that day I felt like reading the Bible and I started on Ecclesiastes and I read through the whole thing and uh, not saying I was a good kid in college because I was as did as much as anybody but uh, I did read because I've always read but uh, anyway so that's I found that and it's just like been my favorite book ever since it's just a great book and you're gonna say what's well, so dry it's so boring but it's not so I'm gonna I'm gonna get into some reasons for that later but Solomon before we get started Solomon you need to know a little bit about him uh, in his youth he asked for discernment and kind of got the raw end of the deal when God gave him wisdom I think because he, uh, and we'll talk about that later but uh, and the coolest thing about this is it was like 900 and something years before Christ when all this happened and he's the first person documented that I've found to think like this. I mean, you see remnants in people who've had teachings that got kind of got watered down and this and that, but it's really the first documented person to really speak, to write down some some wise stuff like this. And, and you'll see it was like 400 years until uh, Confucius in China started thinking like this. So he kind of set the tone for this type of thinking. And I've got a list of all the different people, but like it was 500 years later when they started thinking like this in Rome. And that's kind of like the way all civilizations based on. So Solomon really started, really changed the world. And, uh, and I know a, a lot of stuff is unchristian in those things, but they got, they got a lot of their thinking. It has to be, it's 400 years difference. They had to, some of that had to come from the way he think and I, I look at like the reason why he wrote Ecclesiastes and I can't say it so go ahead and laugh at me if you want to <laughs> laugh at me Ellen. Ellen's gonna laugh at me if nobody else does Ecclesi anyway uh, so he wanted to share his search for meaning and purpose and uh, 
he he landed, and this is kind of how it's going to conclude too. But where he landed is we need to fear God and keep His commandments. Nothing else matters. Even and half the books about wisdom, and he even concludes that that doesn't matter. But it he's he's going to get to why it's important. But it uh, compared to fearing God and keeping His commandments, that doesn't even matter. So. Uh, one, two more things before we start. I'm going to define two things. And um, wisdom, the best I can come up with it is the practical application of knowledge and obedience to God's will at the same time. And you can look in James 3 for that, uh, a lot of that, comparing it to worldly wisdom and, and wisdom of, uh, of God. But uh, that, that's kind of where, where, I, where I came together on that. And then vanity is kind of a self-centered view of the world. And I look at it, it's almost opposite of wisdom. And uh, it can can be confused with pride, but I think pride's more of the overconfidence in myself, where vanity is like overimportance in myself. And some of the things that, if if we're dealing with vanity, some of the uh, words from the, what's it called, words from the, when you're doing the discipleship, it's words from the stage or whatever. Words from the, phrase from the stage. On uh, vanity would be like nobody pays attention to me, nobody listens to what I say, nobody understands me. They're not people like me. A lot of that thought process is an overfocus on self. So when we're sitting there feeling that we don't matter because nobody cares, that's us being thinking we're more important than we are. And, and I know our world's going to teach us that we need to, like, constantly build ourselves up and you be you and all that, but a lot of that's vanity. So I'm going to start in Ecclesiastes, said it right, with uh, 1, 2 to 11. Like I said, I'm going to do heavy scripture and then talk about it, but it says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. What advantage does a man have in all his work? The son. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Listening to its place, it rises there again, blowing towards the south, then turning towards the north. The wind continues swirling along, and on its circular course, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this? It's new. Already it's existed for ages, which were before us. There's no remembrance of earlier things. And also of the latter things which will occur, there will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. So are, like, are our days different than the days when Solomon lived? Are they different than 50 years ago in America? If, uh, I, th- I think, you know, we like to say, oh, we like to remember this time in the past that was somehow better. And I think where, the, where vanity comes in is this is the life I've experienced right now the one that I'm going through the journey that I'm taking so I can look at in history 
and and see things were better or worse or something than now. But that's that's my vanity thinking, just just thinking that I'm I matter or I'm matter's not the right word, but just that, that's me thinking that somehow I'm different or I'm special because it was so much better back then. It, it's it's all ruined now. But vanity aside, we're living and acting the same way people have lived and acted since people have become, I mean, since Adam and Eve, when they, uh, when they started, when they were, when they ate of the apple, when they saw it for the first time. And when I was younger, probably starting around 15 or so, I really wanted wisdom. And uh, James 1, 5, and 6 says, simply ask and mean it, and God will give it to you. And there's three times in my life, and this is where I'm going to uh, not talk about it because Ellen doesn't like for me to tell all my secrets in life. But uh, <laughs> I, she doesn't want a bunch of squalling and carrying on. But anyway, there were three times in my life I, like, deep down did what James says and just prayed hard for wisdom. And I, some verses I landed on are in seven of Ecclesiastes. And I get to throw one of my markers away now. But it's, I'm going to read, read some more out of here. And it says, uh, starting in one, it says, A good name is better than good ointment. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man. And that's, I, I say that to my kids a lot when we go to the funeral home, because it's uncomfortable. But sorrow is better than laughter. For when the face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It's better to listen to the rebuke of the wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as to the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Don't be eager to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. This is, this is going back to what I said earlier. Don't, do not say, why is it that former days were better than these? For is it not from wisdom that you ask about? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Consider the work, for who's able to straighten what he has bent? And is in the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that one man will not discover anything that will be after him. And so uh, in my searching, I don't feel like I ever gained wisdom, but I did open my eyes to this grief that's in that comes with wisdom and it, they talk about that in, in 1, 17 and 18 but if you if you search for this it's, you're going to see you're going to be sad it's not going to make you happy and so what I had to learn the hard way was in 716 it says do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise why should you ruin yourself so I'm not saying we don't need wisdom so don't don't take it that way we all need God's wisdom we need to seek that but if you 
spend too much time searching for it, you're gonna, it's gonna be something that, that makes you sad. So the next part is gonna be on, uh, on James. I know we're gonna flip over and uh, some historic scholars thought James wasn't very deep, but uh, I think they just didn't read very much. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna read again in James 3, and, and I, I think I said this, I don't remember, but I did my last communion meditation on this. But James 3, 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body as well. So you can see where you're speaking. Wisdom makes you choose where you speak, how you speak, what you say. Now, if we put bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts many great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by a small fire, and the tongue is a, is a fire. The very word... I can't talk. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among the members as that which defiles the entire body and sets fire to the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds and reptiles and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both cursings and blessings. And when I think of somebody who really had control of their tongue, I think of my great aunt. We called her Aunt B. And uh, she's been gone for 12 years now. She was born in 1916. And uh, so she was, I, she was an old lady when I was born, essentially. And so... Uh, but she was very interesting to speak with, and she could tell she was a great storyteller. And she, but she didn't overtell anything. It was you always left her house feeling loved. But she and she never spoke ill of other people. But she also didn't hide real stuff. Like she would say if something was wrong, but she wouldn't. You wouldn't walk away just thinking. I don't know. It's it's just a a good matter of fact way of speaking that I've tried to tried to emulate I guess and and like even when she got older and she was in a lot of pain she took it gracefully quietly and you never heard her talk about all the pain she was going through you just she just talked about whatever the conversation was about or whatever story about I, I remember one cool story they when they were kids they'd climb up trees and grab this tree and swing over to the next tree and uh we tried that me and Brian and Glenn did when we were kids but we did these little uh those little loblolly pines which break real easy, so we just fall, fall down. We, we need to do those mountain trees. But uh, for me, it's, it's hard not to have, throw my opinion out on every topic that comes up just because I think a lot about stuff. And as H Hattie knows, we, I, I, my kids are exempt from that because I give them everything I think. But, uh, but I, I have to work where when I have conversations, my opinion is both expressed, but I also show love to people. And uh, I'm much quieter th than I was when I was younger, even though I talk too much still. 
But uh, the the I went to Arlington a few months ago, and the mayor got up and did this big speech, and he came and he stood beside me and he stared at me like he wanted me to tell him something good. And I didn't ignore him, and I didn't ask him why he was looking at me. I said, good job, and shook his hand and just looked back forward. And that was all I could muster up because that whole look at me mindset I can't handle. But I did I, – I've come along in that regard, I guess. But we live in a culture of opinions, and we have a lot of real, real, real social media, whatever, conversations about topics, and we're real demeaning to other people. I mean, even to where we're ostracizing people of different opinions. And while we're on James 3, I'm going to read 9. When it's talking about the tongue, it says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Our tongue's awful if we don't control it. And if, if you're still pretty confident in your opinion matters, look over to Proverbs 18.2 where it says, a fool does not delight in understanding, but revealing his own mind. So the question I ask myself is, am I striving to follow Jesus, or am I striving to reveal my own mind? And that's just something to think about. So wisdom can make us sad, and that's what, I, that's what Solomon concluded in the first part of this. And so what did he try? He tried pleasure, and uh, he he decided that wisdom was striving after wind, and so he just went to pleasure, and with pleasure, he found out that you're still striving after wind, but that it's empty and without profit, so you get nothing good other than the momentary feeling of good, so, I mean, at this point, we're asking the question, is there anything worth doing, and uh, I started to get... Uh, Alicia to play a song right here, but I thought it'd be too much dramatics, too many dramatics. But uh, on, t uh, I'm in James. I need to go back to where I need to be. So in Ecclesiastes 2:24, it says, "There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him?" For a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. While the sinner, he has given the task of gathering and collecting that so he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This, too, is vanity and striving after wind. So, I mean, it, it goes back to striving after wind. But we, if we work and tell ourselves that our work is important, and uh, a literal interpretation is that is cause our soul to see that it's important, then we're going to be more content. And what I think about when I think about this, I think about boys in sports. Eli will come home from school and spend two hours telling me about a two-hand touch game that they played on the playground. 30 minutes of stuff, he can talk about it all day. And, I, and we're like, Eli, please, it's just two-hand touch. And he said, so-and-so grabbed the ball, and they were like this. And just he's so excited. And what did the boys do? They ran, they jumped, they screamed and argued at each other. They did all this stuff that's hard work. And, but they loved it. They love every minute of it. And uh, if we could get to that as grown-ups, and I'll get on to why we have a hard time with that as adults later, but uh, if we can get to that as grown-ups, we're going to be a lot more content with our life.
to tell ourselves that what we're doing is worth it, not to come home and complain about our job every day, not to complain about all this stuff we have to do. Just tell us that this is the task that God's given me, and it's worth it. Uh, so simply find a work, learn to enjoy it, learn to feel that it matters, and, and you can be content. And on the subject of contentedness, does that mean we need to be forever the optimist? Always running from pessimism. Maybe some people. I, I wrote this, uh, and I wouldn't call it a poem. It's not. A, I don't know what it's called. But I wrote this thing, and I hung it up on my wall years ago, where I drew this flower, and it grew this way and that that way. And it's kind of sarcastic, but it says, grow straight, grow tall, grow great, that's all. And a lot, we would think that the world thinks that that's expects out of us, but really a lot of that's what we expect the world expects of ourselves. I think I said that right. We get this idea in our mind that there's this expectation on us from other people that we put on ourselves and we always try to be happy. We always try to show our best self to the world. And uh, I'm going to read what Solomon says. Why not? We're talking about Solomon, right? We're talking about Ecclesiastes. Again, I got it right. 3, 1 to 11. It says, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up is lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear down and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given to the sons of men which to occupy themselves. He made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning to end. I think what this is telling us is just to be real. And uh, just be who, like, if I'm going through something, I'm going through something. If it's happy, I'm happy. If it's sad, I'm sad. And not to feel like we're, we should be somehow different than what we're dealing with. I'm not saying to meet some stranger and pour your heart out over every sorrow you have, but like be okay, learn to be okay when it's not going perfect. Learn to be okay when it's going great. Both of those are going to come. It th life's going to be great and life's going to stink sometimes. And I think what it's saying is it's all coming there. And it's not just, I mean, you hear this at funerals a lot, but I don't think that's it's a funeral. It's just for funerals. I mean, I know that's when people, that's when people are struggling with sorrow and you want to tell them that there's a time for it. So it, it is appropriate for funerals, but it's appropriate when you're happy too. You need to know that sad days are coming, but it's not, it's just the way it is. It's, it's, we can, we're not going to change that. And so uh, 
it says God put eternity in our hearts. We can't be satisfied with fill in the blank. What is it that you like, that you dwell on, that you try to satisfy yourself with? So my kids, they'll go to somebody's house. They'll have a fancy house or a fancy car or boat or something and say, look how rich they are. And I always respond with, I bet, I bet you they have a mortgage on that. Because, like, how, how much do we, and I'm not saying it's wrong to have things. It's not. But how much do we adorn ourselves like a peacock to show everybody else what we have? And so just trying to give them that perspective of, yeah, they got all this stuff, but they're screaming and yelling at each other at night because they're trying to pay for it. That may not be happening, but, like, you need to, like, learn that perspective when you're, when you're thinking about that. So uh, going back to what we talked about earlier, why do we become unsatisfied with our work while we're grown? And I'm not going to read this, but in 4.4 it says, a lot of our labor is due to competitiveness. So are you, are you focused, I mean, are you living your life as if you're trying to win or lose a game? Are you competing with the people around you? Think about at work. Do you look at people at work, are they your friends or are they your competitors? When you're in a conversation, are you trying to tell a bigger story than the person beside you? I've fallen for that one before. I used to think it was fun to overtell the other person. Our relationships. Am I, am I in a win-loss view of relationships I have with people? My status. Do I try to show how much better I am or whatever than other people? So just ask yourself, am I journeying along with other people or am I trying to beat them? And I think that's, I, I try to think about the American dream on that. And I think good summary of the American dream is to be constantly unsatisfied with what you have. <laughs> I mean, really, think about it. Like, I don't have enough. I need more. And uh, I mean, and, and this is not, I'm not taking a political side on this, but this college loan debate that we're having right now, somehow we told ourselves that we have to go to college. And our culture tells us that this recognition of education is better than just learning stuff. Like having other people agree that you know stuff is, and that's all status. It's all, look at me, I know this. And yes, I went to college and I think college is fine. But is it worse than any, I mean, is it better or worse than anything else? No, it's just a thing we do. And I'm really not, if it came across as I was throwing some political thing out there, I'm not because I, I like to look at the source of things, not the branched off, you're, you're an idiot opinion of things. It's the source of it is we've told our kids to get, I mean, my parents' generation told many kids in our generation to go get a loan for college when they couldn't afford to pay for it. Anyway, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to get into the politics of that, but that's just, that's just kind of, like, look at stuff from the root of things, not from the effects. Like, we, we're here now, we got to take this side. we got to fight about it. But what does it matter? It doesn't. It doesn't matter if everybody in the world thinks I'm a genius or if everybody in the world thinks I'm an idiot. It doesn't matter. And we tell ourselves that. And uh, now that we've went through all this, we're all wise, we're content, and we're working hard in our lives, Right? Nothing's going to throw us off. 
We can expect anything that's going to come. I think if you think that, you probably need to read the rest of the whole Bible because that's pretty much what the, what the Bible is talking about. All the things, now that you've got these bases, all the things that can go wrong or right or send you this direction or send you that direction, that's what most of the rest of the Bible is about. So, of things that can steer us off track. So what do we do? And I'm going to go to the end of it. And I could write a book. I could talk all day about this, but I, I really think this is a good time to close this off. And it says in a, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 11 to 14, it said, The words of the wise men are like goads. <clears throat> the masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given to one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless. The excessive devotion to books is wearing to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. And this is something that's echoed through the entire Bible. Fear God, keep his commandments. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can come here and dive into your word. Thank you that we, that you, we have this word that, that we can lean on, that we can learn, learn wisdom, learn whatever it is that you would have us to teach. And I pray that, I pray that we, will, we will see what, it, what our purpose for you is and that we can put aside ourself and our vanity, each of us, and just look at it, notice it. Notice why we can't have this wisdom, why we're so focused on ourselves. And I pray that you can help us put that aside to focus you so we can fear God, fear you, and keep your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen.